My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Greg Rubel is a pro. As the voice of the Cougars, Greg has been part of the BYU football radio broadcast since 1991. He has served as the play-by-play voice for BYU basketball since 1996, BYU football since 2001, BYU women's soccer since 2014, and BYU men's baseball since 2021. Aside from his incredible ability to seamlessly cover so many sports, often simultaneously, what truly separates Greg Rubel in my mind is his preparation, his passion, and his perspicacity. And I had to go with three Ps there because Greg is also a master of alliteration. No one prepares more than Greg. No one is more passionate about Cougar sports than Greg. And no one is more quick-witted and insightful than Greg. And it was for these reasons I wanted to talk with Greg today. I hope you enjoy learning from Greg Rubel, because I always do. Greg, it's so great to talk with you today. I've been doing this podcast for about two years now, and it's become one of my most favorite hobbies. And if there is one person who is most responsible for this podcast, I would have to say that it's you. Uh, In the fall of 2007, I was watching a BYU football practice, and you asked me if I'd be interested in working as a sideline reporter for the upcoming football season. Now, up to that moment in my 26-year life, I'd never once considered the possibility of working in journalism or as a sideline reporter, Uh, but in that 30 seconds, you explained what I'd be doing, go to the football games, be down on the sideline, interview coaches and players. I knew I wanted to do it. We ended up calling more than 100 football games together, traveled to more than 30 states together, forged a friendship that is only possible by sharing so many exciting games and wonderful experiences together. And as I've said many times before, working with you and Mark was a life highlight for me. So thank you again, Greg, for giving me that opportunity, which has led me to this new hobby today. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have been able to, uh, first of all, uh, call the games in which you played and, and watch you as a player and then to cross paths with you, as you said, at that practice after your playing days, and then strike up a friendship that started with that conversation that became a working relationship. And uh, we got to enjoy you over two stints yes. as our sideline reporter. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm, I'm never going to close the door uh, you know, <laughs> to, to something down the line, it should, uh, should the opportunity present itself. So um, uh, I'm not sure how much longer I've got in this job, um, and, and, and you might have, uh, uh, many more years, uh, than I do at this point in your current venture. So it may or may not work out that way, but I'm glad we had the time together. We did, uh, on the air. I love that mindset, Greg, keeping the door open. If, if nothing <laughs> else, you know, I have done a few games on the road, for example, you know, I, I met you in, in TCU once when I wasn't officially working for you, helped call a game that Jimmer was playing in. Uh, we did the one in Wisconsin that I wasn't officially working for you, but I happened to be in town. So right. now with BYU coming to the Big 12, maybe, you know, Allen Fieldhouse or at uh, Booth Memorial, we can we can work something out. So you're you're, de- you're definitely on the bench right now, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Well, Greg, as you think back to your 30 year, uh, 30 plus year career as the voice of the Cougars calling football, basketball, soccer and baseball games. Are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass along to your kids and or future generations? The first one, Nate, would be something that uh, is actually, it it was was a saying, it's a saying that I think was maybe incorrectly attributed to Shakespeare, but I I think having done some research, um, 
originates as an old Gaelic proverb that in translated to, uh, to Old English, as it turned out, reads, uh, whate'er thou art, act well thy part. Whate'er thou art, act well thy part. Um, which simply means whatever you're doing, do it well. And, and, and that was a big lesson for me uh, throughout my life, really. Um, but in terms of a professional application, I'll relate it this way. Um, I, I was a student at BYU, um, and uh, I was able to uh, apply for successfully an internship at KSL Radio in Salt Lake City while I was going to school at BYU. And it was a sports internship because I wanted to be a sportscaster. Uh, I, I, at BYU, I, I did a number of different broadcasting jobs, but they were all with the end objective of ending up in the sports world. And I got an internship at KSL with uh, the then sports director for KSL Radio, Chris Tunis, who was kind of a sports talk radio pioneer in the state of Utah and, and, and the perfect person to learn from. And so I had this, uh, this internship that lasted for a matter of months in the spring of 1989. And as internships do, they conclude with your school term. And so my school term ended, the internship ended. I went home to Canada, uh, spent the summer there. And, uh, and came back to BYU in the fall. And as I went back to start my, my senior year at BYU, uh, KSL reached out to me and said uh, that they had an opening in, in the news department as the weekend radio news anchor reporter. And would I be interested in applying for that job? And I had a decision to make uh, because I wanted to be a sportscaster. And, and the, internship, the internship I did with KSL was in sports. And so they, they, they watched me uh, work in sports for them. Now they've reached out to me and said, we have an opening, but it's not in sports. It's in news. And so I had a decision to make, you know, would I hold out, you know, for, for, for the opportunity that more matched my, my, my career objective, or would I get my foot in the door at KSL, uh, at, which was then and now, you know, a great place to work in the state of Utah, a kind of a legacy uh, broadcast outlet and, and kind of where you want to be. And of course, I made the decision to go for that job. And I cut an audition tape and applied and got the job. And so I became the part-time weekend radio news anchor reporter at KSL. I was not in sports. I was in news. And it was, it was, a, demanding, it was a demanding weekend. As I recall, it was a 12-hour shift on, on Saturdays and, and I believe a four-hour shift or four to six-hour shift on Sundays. And of course, I was going to school Monday to Friday. So I was, I was now, you know, kind of busy seven days a week with this, with this job, this paying job now on the weekends. And, and it was in news. And, and it would be three years before a sports opening um, was available at KSL. And so for those three years, I kind of hammered away uh, in, in the news world. Um, and after about a year of being the weekend radio news anchor reporter uh, part time, I got a full-time job. In fact, I got a full-time job a few months later. I was still in school at BYU. Uh, now I was working graveyards overnights. So I went from being the part-time weekend uh, radio news anchor reporter to they offered me a full-time job. But the caveat was it's 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. weeknights oh, wow. while I'm still in school. Wow. So my last semester at BYU as a student was done while going to classes in the morning and then working 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. overnights in Salt Lake City. I was taking the bus. I would take the bus to and from uh, campus, from, from Provo to Salt Lake uh, to do this job. So 
um, you know, I was kind of grinding, you know, uh, we were a one car family. I'd just gotten married, but I was taking the bus all the time. I, I, I was a big proponent of public transit at that time. Uh, and, and so for three years, I kind of, you know, kind of grinded away in the news world and learned a lot of great things and hopefully produced some great content to when something opened up in sports and the BYU sideline gig, as it turned out, was the opening uh, in 1992. Uh, I, I got that and kind of the rest is history. That was 30 years ago. 1992 is 30 years ago. So after three years of working in news, the sideline reporter for the BYU football broadcast, the job you later had, yeah. became open and I got that job. And I had it for nine years with Paul James. Paul James, my play-by-play predecessor at BYU. And so, you know, th- those nine years then turned into what's now, you know, 20 plus years of play-by-play. But it all started because I decided to get my foot in the door at KSL, whatever way I could, and then hopefully, you know, work my way into a position that ultimately I, I, I got and, and, and then more positions came along. But, you know, circling back, whatever thou art, act well thy part, whatever you're doing, do it well, and hopefully it will turn into something that you want even more. I love this. You said you were kind of grinding <laughs> and, you know, there's so many journalists and aspiring sportscasters out there that look at you and say, you have the absolute best job in the world. Uh, I've known you for a long time and I never knew that story. Uh, it's, it's so cool to see the, the lengths you were willing to go to, the price you paid to get your foot in the door. It, it reminds me a little bit of when, when you asked me to do the sideline reporting, uh, I wanted to do it. I knew for certain I wanted to do it. I went home and asked Keisha, talked to Keisha about it. But there were a couple other people that I asked advice from. And, and uh, one person who I really respect and admire, he said, you know, I don't think you should do it because uh, you have such a great relationship with, with Bronco and this might kind of strain that relationship. And I thought, uh, well, uh, it might, but hopefully I can do it in a way that we can still have respect for each other and um, it's just too good of an opportunity to pass up uh, to be able to go to the games and, and, and be involved. And uh, just in hindsight, you know, it was a little bit of th- this difficult decision at the time, but in hindsight, it was like, so obviously the right decision to say yes and do it. And, you know, I, I imagine you at that moment thinking like, oh, do I really leave new leave sports to go to news? In hindsight, it, it was clearly the right choice get in, learn, grind, and then more opportunities will, will open up as you do a good job. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you know, there's also a point of, of being versatile too. And, you know, Bronco was fond of saying the more you can do, the more you can do. Right. And, and, and so showing my, my employers that I could, I, I could put as much effort and passion and hard work into the news product and, and, you know, show them that that's, that's how I am. Like I would, whether, whether my assignment is news or sports, here's who I am and here's what you'll get um, to where they felt comfortable. They could kind of throw anything at me. And indeed I, I, I became a talk show producer. Um, I, I started doing TV and, and, and other things came about, I think all as a result of just kind of taking that attitude of, yeah, whatever it is, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a good one. And, yeah. and that was kind of a kind of, kind of a ruling concept uh, for me then and, and, and now. Oh, so great. I had Ted Robinson on uh, recently and his mindset was fearless, not reckless. And, and that's the mindset you had. You same thing. You were fearless. Do whatever they ask you to do. Do it great. And more opportunities opened up. Hopefully. Yeah. OK. Uh, any other lessons you would like to share? Yeah. And, and this one, I think I'm, I'm going to describe as um, be uh, a student and a teacher. 
and 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 you are, I think, an example <laughs> of that in your current life. But be a student and a teacher means um, learn from people that are there to to help you and teach you, and then pass along your knowledge to those who can learn from you. Uh, be both a student and a teacher. Uh, be a, a you know a mentee and a mentor. You know, and and I'll and and relating it to my professional life, I had so many great examples, but I learned the craft of play by play by working with Paul James, uh, the great PGA, uh, the late uh, voice of the Cougars for some 35 years was kind of the, the, the gold standard for me of someone that I worked closely with. We all have broadcasters we admired, whether it's, uh, you know, you know, Vince Scully or whoever the case may be, you, you have people you've listened to or Bob Costas and you admire, you like their style, but I got to work alongside Paul James and, and Paul James was for me, again, someone who, who uh, embodied kind of the, the, the classic play-by-play persona. And I got to work with him for nine years and, and learn by working with him and hearing him in my headset as the sideline reporter, how it is that you do play-by-play and all that went into the craft of play-by-play. And so I, I, I viewed Paul as my most valuable mentor because ultimately what I'm known for now, right now, more than anything is, is play-by-play, but I learned the craft from, from Paul. And, and I learned it in so many different ways, you know, from minutia to kind of broad strokes things. But I was really a student in those years, those nine years as his sideline guy, I was his student. And I was, and, and sometimes he was, he was teaching me um, consciously. Most times he was teaching me without being aware of the instruction. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing. That was where I was learning by observation. But I'd be in hotel rooms with him on a Friday night as I went into conference with him to kind of plan our pregame show. And I'd see him working on his legal yellow on his, his yellow legal pad, um, writing out by hand, the pregame script for the next day. And you'll know, cause you work with me that I operate with a pregame script. And I learned that from Paul. Cause I, I mean, I know that Paul could do it and I certainly could do it. Now, if I wanted to ad lib a 30, 35 minute pregame show, I could do that, right? Yeah. We could, all, I, I, I could handle that. Um, but he liked to script it down. He liked to write word for word the things he was going to say the next day. And I remember saying, you know, why, why do you do that? Like you could clearly off the cuff yeah. say, you know, yeah, but he, but he said, yeah, but there, I won't do it exactly the way I want it constructed unless I, I write it out. And, and, and that's okay because you write the way you talk and you talk the way you think. And so it's all coming from the same place, but you're putting it on paper in front of you. And so what happens, and you saw the same thing, Nate, working with me is ideally the script is conversational, you know, because it's, it's written in a way that's fluid. And, and, and uh, again, uh, uh, as, if you, as if you're you know, speaking just simply casually with the person next to you, which I hope that's the way it sounds on the air. But I learned how to script a pregame show that way from Paul. Um, I, I learned about the notion of, of crafting for your audience. Yes, you can do things off the cuff. And yes, you can do things on the fly and ad lib. And that's basically what an entire broadcast is. Once you get, once the ball's kicked off, you are ad libbing your broadcast. But the things you can construct, the time allows you to construct, take advantage of that time and and create something, craft something, use some style. And you can do that best by putting those written words down on paper. So I would watch Paul do things like that and realize, oh, wow, there's a lot more to play by play than just calling the action. Yeah. There's all the, there's the writing, there's the memorization. And, you know, I'm big into memorization too. Right. Uh, the creating of spotting boards, which helped me do my job and how I memorize off those boards. And, and so I, I was, I was a, a student soaking up all this information yet. 
I still felt so inadequate when the time came to be <laughs> the guy after Paul retired. And, and another small story that, that fits into this, um, before Paul uh, retired in 2000 and I got the play-by-play gig in 2001, I had one cameo in 1996 uh, as the football play-by-play announcer after Paul had some heart issues. Um, and he had the heart trouble during a pregame show before BYU in Utah in 1996. He actually called the game having had a minor cardiac event in the <laughs> pregame. The next day, they told him he had to have six bypasses. And so oh, he was yeah. going in for surgery and he would have to miss one to two months of play-by-play action. That's when I started filling in for Paul back in 1996. So I got, the, I, I got that, that little bit of uh, a taste of what it's like to be a play-by-play person in 1996 when Paul was on the bench due to heart trouble. And it was in those... Uh, in those cameos that I learned that I'd already learned a lot. I didn't think I knew how to do play by play until I was doing it. And, but yet once I was doing it, all those things I'd kind of soaked up from Paul started to evidence themselves. And because I had one prevailing thought when I was the sideline guy for those nine years, and I'd have Paul in my headset, I was walking along the field. I kept telling myself, Nate, I could never do this. It's just too hard. How does he do it? How does he know the names and numbers and how is he, I'm trying to catch up where the ball was and he's already calling the touchdown. And and I thought, wow, this is just so complex in one way. I really wanted to do it. And in another way, I was like, I could never do it. And, and yet there, I was kind of thrown into it after he had his heart issues. I had to be the fill in for one to two months. And at those times I had to prove to myself that I could actually do the job. And I'd learned that I'd already learned quite a bit uh, by, by observing and being around Paul for those years. And then bringing it forward to, to the being a, a teacher part, I, I did spend a couple of years recently on campus with a class uh, that I no longer teach, but I got to be a real teacher. But beyond that, whenever there's an elementary school student or a high school student or a college student who reaches out to me and wants to learn more about my job or job shadow me or hang out with me or talk with me, I try and always take that opportunity to say yes and find time because of how important it was to me to have a mentor. And so um, I, I was a student and I try to be a teacher now um, in, in, in small ways, some larger ways. When somebody wants to learn um, some of the things I've learned, I want to share that knowledge too um, and, and hopefully inspire somebody and, and get somebody on the path that I ended up on. So cool, Greg. So many things I want to say about this. And I, one of the coolest experiences for me was going behind the scenes as well and seeing how it worked. I had no idea you used a script until that first game I show up and, and there you are reading this script. And I had no idea you memorized the names and numbers of the two deep of every opponent for every football game, plus their stats. I had no idea there were spotting boards. So it was cool. It was so cool for me to get in behind the scenes. And you mentioned that script, uh, you know, I could off the cuff introduce you today but I spent some time writing up a script to make sure I said everything I wanted to say. And hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm reading it, but I want to make sure I say all of the things just right. And when we get to the outro, you know, part of it is scripted because there's already things I know I want to say. So that that's cool that, you know, this is, this is coming uh, from Paul James to you, uh, to me. Um, And then, and, and, you know, back in the day, you know, Paul was using the legal pad. And for my first few years, I was also using that same legal pad. Then of course, laptops come into play. And of course I I type everything now. And another funny thing, kind of a side note is I I've never really truly learned how to type. 
Um, right. <laughs> I've I, seen I, you. I've I'm noticed. Still, you know, I, I, I can do okay, but I've yeah. not become a true typist. The people that can really look one way and type the other way and not look. I, that's not me yet. I'm still looking at the board. Um, I'm fast at it. I, I'm really fast at it, uh-huh. but I'm not really, really, really good at it without making a lot of mistakes. And they so one of the things I, I, I keep telling myself, I'll take one summer and like take a class somewhere and really become a true typist. Because one of the things that I, I kid you not, one of the things I thought would hold me back in the business was the inability to be a true typist. I thought, oh no, I'm going to fall behind all my colleagues who know how to type so well. And I got better and I got faster, but I never really nailed it toward the point where like professional typists could do it. And so that's one of those things that remains uh, unchecked on my to-do list. Well, well, that's so funny. We all have these, these kind of thing, these mental blocks or whatever in our, in our own lives. One of the things I wanted to touch on is, is this, this feeling of like, I could never do this. Uh, I've had that at multiple points in my life, uh, thinking about, you know, being a professor or as a church missionary, uh, certainly a broadcast. There was a time like, I don't know if I could do this as well, but you get in and you learn how to do it. And uh, if somebody else, you know, anything somebody can learn is essentially something that somebody can learn. Uh, This idea, if somebody else can do it, you can probably do it as well. But I love this framing of you just have to learn how to do it. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I want to be sensitive to your time. But do you have any other lessons you'd like to share before we wrap up? Yeah, it'll be our shortest one, probably, Nate. And this last one is um, to develop the, the ability to differentiate between constructive and destructive criticism. And, and a lot of it comes down to the source, you know, who's trying to help you. Um, and then the other part of it is what kind of help are you being given? And, and most of the destructive criticism, I will personally say, comes from anonymous sources via social media. Uh, you can get a lot of that out there. Um, when you're in the public eye, have a public um, persona or job that puts you out in the public as I do, you generate a, you generate a, a certain uh, amount of feedback. Um, some of it positive, some of it negative. And, and, and some of the negative is not meant as much to build up as to break down. Um, they're not giving you tips. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're giving you, um, they're, they're trying to break you down. They're trying to uh, criticize your performance or, uh, or uh, make you feel a certain way. And yet there are those who are truly trying to help you in, in your professional world. And, and they're giving you feedback that you can then um, think about, incorporate, and, and use to improve the job you do. And I've, and I've, I've received both kinds over the years. And, and constructive makes you feel one way and destructive makes you feel another way. And I try and minimize the, uh, the presence of and minimize and mitigate the effects of the destructive criticism and focus uh, more on, on those who are trying to build you and appreciate you and help you uh, as opposed to the opposite. And so I think that's something I would, I, w- I would just say is, is don't, you know, don't, don't take every amount of feedback uh, with the same weight or importance um, because you have to assess the source and assess the impact, assess the intent of that feedback. And that's really everything. Um, you know, if, if there's someone out there trying to help me and wanting to help me and looking to build me, I want more of that. But if someone's out there just trying to, to break down and criticize or do it anonymously, you have to take the proper weight with that as well. I love that framing. It reminds me of 
this mindset of, you know, somebody might say something like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. And it's like, okay, well, you probably should care what your spouse and your loved ones and your employer do think of you. So saying, I don't care at all what people think is, is probably not the right approach. But kind of related to that, saying that you should always embrace all feedback is also not the right approach. Because as you're kind of framing shows, not all feedback is intended to do the same thing. And I really like this idea of like, look, if it's destructive, I don't need to listen to that feedback. So my mindset is not embrace all feedback. That's not the right approach. Just like it's not the right approach to say that I don't care what anybody thinks. Uh, there's an admirable quality to that idea of like, you know, I'm going to be my own person. So I'm not going to be too influenced by what other people think. And there's an admirable quality in, in seeking out feedback and accepting it. But I really like this distinction of accepting the right kind of feedback. Yeah, because I, I, I can always and I do seek to always improve my performance, you know, game to game and week to week and season to season. Uh, I've yet to call a perfect game and, and I may never, um, but uh, the, the, there are always ways to improve. And, and oftentimes the impetus for that improvement comes externally. I do a lot of self-reflection. I do a lot of self-critique. I listen to a lot of my own work. But, you know, without those the, those those um, those helpful people, those constructive people. Um, the feedback that is meant to build up and improve, I, I wouldn't be uh, hopefully as, as, as good as I'm seeking to be every game. Well, I think people would disagree with you and they say when you say you've never called the perfect game. Uh, from your perspective, that may be the case, but certainly for fans out there, uh, you have had perfect games, undoubtedly. Uh, this is the first time I've interviewed you as far as I can remember. And Greg, it was awesome. Uh, you're a true pro. I hope you write a biography someday because I could spend hours and hours learning more about your experiences like the one you shared today about taking the bus and working the graveyard. Uh, BYU Cougar Nation is so lucky to have you. You've become an inseparable part of tens of thousands of people's connection to the BYU teams they love so much. So it was so great to talk with you today. Thanks so much, Greg. Uh, Nate, I'm grateful for you. Uh, I, I admire you. Uh, I appreciate you so much. I'm so proud of you and all the things you've done in your life. I'm glad that our paths still continue to cross. And now that BYU is going to the Big 12, I expect those meetings to be at least annual. Uh, at this point, I'm never going to come to your neck of the woods and not share a meal with you. That's for sure. Um, so, And those are some of our best times. Uh, we're in restaurants over the years. I look forward to getting back with you that way. Again, just so happy to spend time with you. I will do anything you ever ask of me. Uh, you're a great friend. And uh, again, just so happy to have spent time with you. Thanks so much, Greg. And I can't wait to be eating together again soon. All right. Talk <laughs> to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. I could have listened to Greg share his insights for hours. And luckily, I still get to whenever he calls a game. First, whate'er thou art, act well thy part. Greg wanted to be in sports, but got his foot in the door with regular news on the weekends, doing 12-hour shifts on Saturdays and four to six-hour shifts on Sundays. Then he got the graveyard shift, working 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. weeknights all while he was still in school. For three years, Greg grinded in the news world until an opportunity in sports opened up. But during those three years, Greg showed that he would put as much passion and effort into the news product as he would into sports, demonstrating the wisdom of Mendenhall's mantra, the more you can do, the more you can do. If we act well our part like Greg Rubel, things will likely turn out pretty good for us. Second, learn from others and then teach others. 
For nine years, Greg learned the intricacies of play-by-play from Paul James, and even though Greg doubted his own ability to do play-by-play, once he was given the opportunity, he learned that he had already learned how to do the job successfully. If I ever doubt my own abilities, I'm going to remember that Greg Rubel doubted his own abilities as well, and then I will shift my focus from doubting myself to learning from others, all the while generously sharing with others what I learn along the way. And finally, learn to differentiate the constructive feedback from the destructive feedback. If we ever do work in the public eye, we will likely generate both kinds of feedback, but we need to make sure we're weighting each kind of feedback appropriately. Greg seeks to minimize the presence and mitigate the effects of the destructive feedback, all while seeking out the constructive feedback. Greg shared the lessons that have helped him become an all-time successful broadcaster, a career spanning four different decades. But what I love about Greg's lessons is that they are also a recipe for success in life. By following his lessons, we drastically increase our odds of succeeding in our careers and in life. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. 